You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Alex. Hi, Nick. How you doing, man? I'm feeling much better. You recovered. Good Lord. I've recovered. I was really <laughs> concerned for a second there because it wasn't just it wasn't just the COVID, but you also had like the the nostril, like the, if I might share. The- oh my God! Yeah, no, I I got COVID, and then as I was recovering from COVID, I got I don't know if it was like a cold yeah. or it was a COVID part two. It was something, and suddenly like I literally could not breathe out of my nose for like a week. That's which insane, I don't know if that's dude. ever happened to you, but that's it's the worst feeling that there is. Yeah, no, no, that that is the worst when you can't breathe. It, you know, it's it's oh my God. natural. It's bad. Yeah, um, it's just like the best way possible way to end twenty twenty that I could think of. Yeah, just get COVID. It just complete misery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I want to point out though, um, one thing. You know, now, now, obviously, mm. COVID is a very serious disease, and anybody who has it, who is living with it, uh, who has lost loved ones to it, we love you, and we send you so much, so much healing energy and and good vibes, because um, it's 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 serious shit. But in your specific case, Alex, now yes. you spent twenty twenty. Uh, recording this podcast with me and you spent it in pursuit of my wife Mm -hmm. well yeah 2020 and every year prior so i just want to make sure that you understand Mm -hmm. that i'm not saying it was karma but i am saying Mm -hmm. stay away from my family do you know what i mean you're you're saying that i got covid as as cosmic punishment yes for pursuing Sarah. Yes. How do you feel about that, That's, man? I would do it all over again. Fuck you. Little justice. Little justice. Little justice. Fuck yeah. <laughs> what does Sarah get? Why does she- why does she not get punished? She's part of this. No, she didn't get shit. Welcome, welcome, welcome to, to Little Justice. <laughs> she is part of it. She's really part of it. Well, she, it takes two to tango. It does. Okay? It does. She, she, absolutely, she absolutely is in there. Uh, guys, you know, we're back. We're back. We're back. Alex is, is recovered. We are back recording these wonderful episodes. And we have one of the most amazing guests uh, ever to uh, this week, um, a, a young man who uh, has kind of made his mark on not only the the podcast industry, but also the improv industry, the theater industry, the acting industry, and also just the just being a genuinely good human being industry. Uh, Michael Paul Smith, 
Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, my hey friend. Hey, guys. I am transfixed by that conversation I was just eavesdropping on. Wow. <laughs> it, it's good. always so awkward when Packed we have a guest on and we have to we have to do our cold open and know that the guest is just sitting there like waiting for us to finish our bullshit. I, Man, I, love, I was riveted. I love it because it it sets, you know, if you if you if you listen to our cold open, it's going to set up the, the tone for the entire thing. So like if you thought you were coming to something that wasn't this, now you know. Oh my god. And <laughs> yeah. and when we have more serious guests too, it's just like like people who like are real industry professional mm-hmm. like big types who like we're just like like Michael, you're just like a friend of ours. Like we're just we're happy to yeah. shoot the shit with you and all that. Uh, but when we have people on who like maybe we haven't talked to since we approached them to do our podcast all that and we make them sit there yep. and listen to us <laughs> talk about how I'm going to steal Nick's wife and, and it's we're going to murder each other one day. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and it's and it's also Completely funny. Unprofessional. It's also funny, Michael, because one of the things that I learned from watching you guys do your podcast was that efficiency of time because, you know, especially with Hamilcast and with, with all, you know, with the with the pods that you guys do over there. You guys are smart enough to record your cold opens without the guests listening. You record them on your own time. We don't do that here. <laughs> and, and I mean, like, it might just be that we forget to do it until the end, and then we're just like, "Oh, it's just us. I oh, will just do it. We'll just get it over with." But it's, it's probably still, smarter. It's yeah, smarter. Yeah. It's smart. And then you're not. You're not. You know. You're not. It's. It's not. It's not crazy. It's not awkward. But. But more importantly, let's get. Let's get to you, man. So, how are you doing? How's life? How's your soul? How you feeling? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. I, I have to ask if Alex is uh, Alex. Can you smell yet again? Because I am a I am a little justice listener. As I've I, I shouted <laughs> from the rooftops, and so I'm concerned about your sense of smell. I I appreciate your concern. That means a lot to me. Uh, here's the thing: I never really had a sense of smell to begin Jesus with. Jesus Christ! Weird weird thing about me. Like I, there's something going on. One day I will get it figured out. Um, I've never I could smell technically. If something's really bad, I can smell it. Every now and then I'll get a whiff of coffee or something like that. But kind of as a rule, I have my smell is my most muted sense. So I couldn't really tell if it had disappeared. My wife, on the other hand, she could tell immediately and it, and, and also her taste because mm-hmm. um, those two things are, are pretty interconnected. I definitely noticed the taste thing. Um, but So you've but, gotten back what little smell you had. I've gotten back what little smell that I had. All right. Yeah, it, and and it's, I think it's one of those things that you just get used to it after a while. You just think, oh, this is how the world is, right? Like, everybody can only smell a little bit right but it's really not true i really i really need to get checked out yeah you should go to a doctor man <laughs> i really <laughs> should go to a doctor, go to a doctor. <laughs> you know when we're out of lockdown uh because wait well now so this is interesting because michael you're, you're not in lockdown yet right new york is still you guys are still popping and moving a little bit. uh yeah i mean to the extent that that uh we were before but i think yep. uh you know the the laws are always changing, and I'm such a homebody anyway, and I'm taking every precaution. So like, I'm not like refreshing the New York One Twitter like like I would yep. be if I had to just like be outside all the time. Um, but I think the schools are still closed. It's still remote learning and stuff like that. And I think the the bars and restaurants are getting more and more restricted. I think they're only allowed to be open till nine now. Um, so yeah, it's 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 getting back to those those days. It's um, pretty- but I think, yeah, I think I, I saw today that most of 25% of the fatalities are in Staten Island, where only 5% yep. of the population is. Dude. So wow. I don't know what. what it's a lot doing. of people who not wearing masks it's, down there is what's happening. It's, it's really crazy. And I'm not, again, we're not trying to shame anybody here, but, but at a certain point, you know, because I've been watching the Cuomo briefings. Um, and, and again, I, I've said this earlier on this on this pod. I don't 
you know, Cuomo, not my favorite politician, but I, you, I cannot argue with the way that he's handled this pandemic and he really has handled it. And it, it's, it's really amazing to see. But the thing is, you know, you watch the briefings and he was talking about Staten Island and it's like, you had the dude, what, what's that? I don't know this gentleman's name, but uh, the guy who was running the bar, uh, you know, illegally, you know, without like, without COVID. Yeah, uh, that guy. And, and then ran his, Alex, I don't know if you heard about this. This dude, mm. when he was getting, his place got shut down. This guy gets in his car and runs his car into a freaking deputy and drives what? with him on the hood of his car for like, I think it's like a hundred yards or some shit. Like, at, just just out of protest because, you know, you're, you're cutting in on our freedoms. And it's like, y'all, Staten Island, I don't know what y'all are smoking over there, but please get with the program. That's nuts. Well, here's where we're getting now is like, because it's been going on for so long, it, it really is. There are so many people's livelihoods who are disappearing mm-hmm. and it's, it's a no win situation. I do think that politically it's gotten very, very confused. Yes. I it's agree. a very hard situation. And I know in, in LA, in California, they're making some some questionable calls in terms of you know what can stay open and what can't. Yeah. It's because there's no science to back it up. It's easy to shut down restaurants, but you can't shut down the Hollywood money. You can't shut down shoots. You can't shut down things. So, so there's that woman who who was losing her restaurant. She can't open her restaurant and watching right across the street, a film crew eat in the same exact way under a tent outside Oof, that she had no. set up at her restaurant. No, you know, and and it's I get I get that everyone needs to be safe and we need to do this in the right way. But I, I think it's gotten very, very messy uh, when the people who are making those calls about how to do it are, are, you know, going to dinner parties, and everybody around and going to dinner parties (laughs) and taking vacations. And yeah, I get I get where the frustrations are, but don't run your car into people. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> and this is and, and Michael, I don't know what you think about this, but this is something that I've thought about often because I'm like, at the end of the day, you, you know, Alex talks about doing it right. How you do this right is you pay. I'm sorry, you pay right. people to shut down. If you're yep. going to yeah. have somebody shut down you their business, to. then they need to get paid. And Absolutely. I think that you know what I mean. That's that's just something that's that's happening. But um, and, and I think I think the messy part is that people then equate like, oh well, then I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to adhere to any of it, yeah. right? They the whole thing gets all lumped together. Like I'm not going to tell let them tell me what to do. Like no, wear a mask. Like the the science is obvious yeah. <laughs> in that regard. Like be safe, be safe for other people. Um, and I don't know. We're going to get through this thing. We're well, going to get through this. Thing. No, hey, yep. we started we started we started those vaccines, y'all. Started those vaccines. Yep. Uh, I'm sick of the, I'm sick of having to start every episode of this podcast with a description of what's going on in the world right. Listen. Now. <laughs> listen. Yeah, it's true. That will always be the that will always be the case, but the vaccines are coming. We're we're hanging tight. And, and more, vaccinated that that lovely 90-year-old lady in the Christmas yes. sweater. Oh yeah. She was love the first her. one. Love her. <laughs> love her. And and I love the dude in Britain who's like, "Well, listen, I you know, it's too late to die now. Like I'm, I'm just getting back. Just like, yeah, good for you, man. Good boy. Good boy. You, you get it. You get it. Um, but you know, most importantly, you know, we we're just trying to. Yeah, I I agree with you, Alex. That it, it is. It always sucks having to open talking about goddamn COVID. But we do have. It some does. Tr- but but yeah, if you, if you go back and listen to all the episodes all the way through, it really does document. <laughs> where we've been the progression of where we've been and where we're going and and what what joy and where are we going be. right now well right now i mean i want to talk about i want to talk a little bit about this this Do- young man document oh you missed no, it i don't see i know what you're doing but i'm not ready to go there yet 
See, Michael, Alex is trying to pivot. It was not too, too soon. Too, too soon. soon. Oh, I know. I, I again, I'm a listener. You guys, I know. You're I know the ongoing listener. debate over who gets to pivot. Yeah, You're looking out for the pivot. Did no. I pivot too early? You pivoted. I think I might have pivoted you too did. Early. You pivoted too early because we got to talk it, about the opportunities there. When oh opportunity God. presents itself, you you, know. you are an opportunity, and you need to not <laughs> present yourself. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to talk about this young man's amazing radio play. Twas the night. Oh, do you know what I mean? Before we get to anything about our movies, we got to talk about the the fact that, that that Michael is spreading so much joy. So, Michael, talk to us about this because you you know, look, you have Ted and Michael resketching the microphones. You are you've done work at the Irish Rep. You you are an improv actor. You are a theater actor, and 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 you wrote this. This started as a play, correct? Before it was a radio play, this was an yes. actual just original play. So, yeah, what what, yes. what was this for you? Uh, this was something that I wrote over a Memorial Day weekend because I wished it was Christmas. I'm such a, a Christmas and winter fan. Uh, in fact, all of my major gift buying happens in December because it's my wedding anniversary, it's Jillian's birthday, it's our dating anniversary, and it's wow. Christmas. It all happens Ooh. for me in December. So I wrote I wrote that, and then it got produced a few years ago by my friends at Long Island Theater Collective, which is a, a company on Long Island, with, yeah. uh, where I'm from. And... Um, a couple years later, we did it in the city as a reading, and I got my manager from that reading. And yes, for you actors out there, industry people occasionally still go to things in person. At least they will again yes. once this whole thing blows over. And uh, and now we're doing it as a radio play. So I've had to like retrofit it each time and tighten the screws on it each time as we go along. Um, but it is essentially, it's a comedy about um, a family in the present day in New York City, and the entire poem... A Visit from St. Nicholas, also known as Twas the Night Before Christmas by Clement Clark Moore. The entire poem happens to them down to every last detail that I could possibly justify. Brilliant. So it starts off that. with with the the mom, if you will, uh, uh, convincing her husband to wear these old-timey Christmas pajamas. Because as I'm writing it, I'm like, well, I got to get her in a kerchief and I got to get him in a cap if we're going to do this. And then- on and on we go from there. And it's a terrifying ordeal for them for the most part. <laughs> and they're convinced uh, that her younger brother is playing a cruel joke on them. And so who is my favorite young sounding prankster that I know? It's me. Nick Walker. It's me. So Nick I'm Walker plays plays the younger brother. And he and Nick, you have a very tricky role in this because you're you're very, very funny, but you also there's also like a cathartic, serious conversation that he has with his sister and they sort of like they talk some things out, some family history sort of things. And uh you nail it. You kill it. And I hope it I hope it makes you proud. How I, old is this character? He's supposed to be a freshman in college. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're not doing like a little kid voice. No, no, no. not doing a little head. kid voice. I haven't done. I haven't had to do one of those since since I was a freshman in college. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, you know, it's so funny because so I get a, I get an email from from uh, Michael and Jillian, you know, being like, this was like months ago. Like, hey, twas the night. We're trying to get this thing together. Um, you know, it's going to be a big thing. We got we got Mr. Man behind it. We got all these cool people, and. Look, the thing, you know, you, you get to, you know, as, as all of us are artists, how often have we had the question, you know, read, read each other's scripts and do each other's projects and all this thing. And that's, that's what happens. Right. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very rare that you open, you open those emails and like, it's like a thing that like actually grabs you and actually, and, and I got to say again, just, and I, I will, I will be, as you are a herald of our, of our projects, I will be a herald of yours. 
you are fucking hysterical, dude. And so my job on that, on that, on that recording was literally just to show up and read your words. Um, and it was, it was very easy. Uh, it, you know what I mean? Like it, you, you, you Thank have you. it so well put out and it's not like, again, it's not like you're dealing with small potatoes. I mean, literally the show is like a Hamilton reunion from like every generation of Hamilton. You got, you got C Jack in there. You got James Iglehart being an idiot. You got, you mm-hmm. have, you have me, you have Lexi Garcia, Fergie, everybody. That's and quite like, a cast. Eddie Lee. Yeah. Eddie Lee shows up. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and not to mention Patrick Hines and, and Jillian and like, and yourself. Patrick so Hines? it's. Yep. Patrick Hines, he's in there. And Anissa Folds from Freestyle of Supreme, who plays opposite me. She yes. plays she plays the mom. Who I've I mo- I recently met uh on on the Chaos Twins, and she is just such a delight, such a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, she is. She knocked it out in, in two recording days. I love She's, it. She's yeah, couldn't have it. couldn't wow. have asked for better. Yeah, dude. So how can I get my hands on this thing then? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's going to be in the in the Hamilcast feed. And it's also going to be at twasthenightplay.com. And the Hamilcast, anyone that listens to it knows that they don't have ads. This We will have one sponsor for this radio play, and it is the Actors Fund. It's just a fundraiser amazing. for the Actors Fund. So that's, that's, that's why it's going to be in those two places. And it's, of course, executive produced by my great and powerful, inspiring wife, Jillian Pensavalli. There you go. There you go. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Nick, if I, if I wrote something, would you be in, in what I wrote you? Now, here's the thing, Michael. He asked this question. Uh, I was in something that he wrote. Uh, you know what I mean? <sighs> and exactly. He Alex likes to credit my entire career to him. And I, I, I can't deny that he did give me my start in a way. In a way. Uh there's a yeah, there's a short film called Borderland that uh that's actually really it, good. It, it made you. Yeah. It did make me. It did make the question me. is, would you ever would you ever trust me again? I with anything debatable now now that it's, I know it's debatable debatable yeah but uh but you <laughs> was know. it not an ideal onset experience for you no Nick? here's the thing actually if I'm speaking real and you know what it's it's holiday time so I'm gonna be so nice please speak real be real it was it was one of the most fun times I've had on set 100% just because it was I think that we were all I think Alex as much as I hate to give him credit he had a really good fucking idea and um and he knew exactly what he wanted out of that shoot and we you know it was me and and my buddies making this war film and like and like really pushing each other and i think that especially with me and and luke who was uh luke humphrey who was also in it um you know we kind of had this like you know we were <laughs> we were two cocky young actors coming right at nyu so we were trying to try, like really trying to outact each other that was like, yeah. and it's, it was one of those ideal situations too for actors where it, it, the whole movie is just two people talking to each other in a really dramatic situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of the rehearsals were great. Cause it's just, it's just the three of us sitting there rehearsing. And and I mean, the night before we were going to shoot this huge, like historic storm rolled through Ugh. and messed everything up. So we had to kind of like retool the script to fit, like suddenly night became day and it was raining the whole time and all this stuff. But like we used that time to like hunker down in the basement and rehearse over and over and over again, and like work it. And it's kind of a, yeah, kind was, of a dream situation. Awesome. Alex, Alex had one bit of direction for me though. And this is this, you know, when I was, when I was doing this recording <laughs> with Michael, Michael was actually being a great director and giving me like, oh, yeah, right. try actually this. doing things that directors should do. Yeah, <laughs> try this, Alex, <laughs> Alex. What was your one phrase of direction for me on that set? Well, I think what every good actor should remember uh, if if there is something in your life, yeah, yeah, 
that you can pull from. Yeah, yeah. You use it. That's all he would use say it. to me, Michael. He would say, just, use, "Use it, <laughs> use it, use your life." That's it. Oh. And just like, and it would be like about yeah. things. I'd be like, Alex, like, when is when is lunch, <laughs> when is lunch getting here? When's crafty opening up? Use it. Like that doesn't make use any it. sense. Oh, are you hu- you're hungry? You're getting irritated. Use it. Use it. <laughs> use it. Uh huh. I hate it. I hate it so much. And the film turned out really well. So it did. You know. It did. No, it really did. So what do, what do I have to do to get you guys in a meeting? You want me to facilitate this? I let's mean, the, you guys. Let's go, Michael. You say the word. Let's do it. There, and we're just gonna we're gonna make it happen. Um, All right. But done. In the meantime, you know, before why don't we document this uh, this wonderful reunion of ours? I already, I already did it. I like that. I I took the steam as. <sighs> God yeah. damn it. <laughs> You I did. can't let you. I can't let you have it. I can't let you. You already have pivoted. that. That's my thing. <laughs> you already pivoted. Okay. That was the so smoothest pivot you've world. done so far, Nick. Because I some, it of was, these, some of your other ones yeah. were were pretty clumsy. I have to say. Oh, I agree. No, no, you've I'm, had some I'm bad terrible. Ones. You've had some bad ones. I'm really bad at pivoting, <laughs> yeah. guys. No, thank you. No, but yeah, today we we wanted to do the documentary movie, and and we we also had this funny moment where we realized that. That is such a broad definition. Like <laughs> we were like, oh yeah, the doc- so so. We set this up and I I texted Nick like I think we should do a documentary movie like in in the beginning stages of figuring out what topic to go with. Let's do a documentary this time thinking okay, a specific kind of documentary. That's like there's there's I don't know. Yep. Documentary itself I guess is technically a genre but it's more a style. Style. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Michael, have you do you have do you do you watch a lot of documentary movies? Do you do you have you had experience with them? I do, yeah. I watch a ton. I mean, as some of you know, my my wife also uh, recaps true crime documentaries for In one fact, of her podcasts. So I wind up having to watch a lot of those. Um, and doc, there are certain documentaries that I will put on because they inspire me so much that I'll just put them on while I write instead of music. Mm, and oh, uh, one of my one of my choices is one of those. I love that. But yeah. I I love I love documentaries. They, Interesting. They tend to be yeah, because I, I usually yeah I usually put on narrative films to get inspired, like a a product of a creative thing. Instead, because documentaries tend you know they get pretty real. You got to pay attention. So what what is it about documentary instead of of like a fiction film that inspires you creatively? Um. Well, specifically, I can't tell you about this one because of I, yep. I you know of course it's, it's got to right. be a reveal. But my favorite thing to write to is probably Ken Burns Jazz because it just puts Ooh, me in this creative uh, world. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to yeah. worry about it for a while. I can just let it play. Yeah. <laughs> Ken Burns in and, general, yeah, as a whole, that's a whole genre unto himself. I mean, that's a. Whew. I think that's the only way to get through an entire Ken Burns series. You got to do other things. Doing, doing something else at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Totally. It gets, it gets rough. It gets rough over there. Um, you know, and, and, but, th- but that's why, I mean, and this is, you know, again, Michael, we're, we're probably going to have to have you back because documentary is such a big, expansive genre. Mm. There's so many, just like so many of the things we pick, there's, there's so many little pockets within it that, you know, we're going to pick these movies and tell you about these movies, but not the end by any means, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a lot yeah. more to talk about. Um, after. my only question to Nick, when he said documentary was, I said, does it have to be a documentary that had a theatrical release? And he said no because so many of them don't. So I was yeah. like, that would, oh, it's yeah. a good that question though. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the thing about documentary, right? Is it's it's all drawn from real life stuff. Even if there's like you know, uh, they they reenact things or whatever. Everything's being drawn from and about real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. 
so where was I going with this? I've still got this COVID brain fog where I start in one place Yikes. and then I end up somewhere else. I don't like that. Um, I don't like that. I don't like that either. I had a point to make and I can't find it. That's the first time that's ever happened. <sighs> terrifying. Wow. Yikes. Terrifying. Yikes, yikes. Well, how about this? While you're in your brain fog, we're going to take a break. And when I say a break, sometimes, you know, here's the thing, guys. Sometimes we take these breaks and there isn't an ad playing for some stupid reason. So if there isn't an ad playing, then we'll just see you in like a second. It's going to be really awkward. But if there is an ad playing, you're going to listen to the ad and then we'll come back and we'll talk about movies. All right. So let's see what happens now. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I love that. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Does that really happen? Oh, yeah. Some, well, because sometimes the Spotify, especially on Spotify, it takes a second for them to put the ad in. So, like, it just won't show up for, like, a Oh, week. no. And I'm like, and then you listen to it and you're like, yo. <laughs> there's, like a, there's, like, a blanks. We, we said I listened to a couple of uh, sports podcasts where they throw to commercial like that, but they don't have sponsors. So yep. they will literally knowingly just be like, all right, and right after this break. Hey, we're back. I love yeah, that. we're back. Yeah, we're back. I have one guy. He does an Islanders podcast, and he does like station identification at the end of the, at the end of every episode. But it's like, dude, it's a podcast. I had to click on this to listen to. I, I know, it. I know who you are. Right, you know where. It like is, Mike yeah. Carver, ILC podcast. Signing off. Like, what? <laughs> oh my god, you're not on the radio. But he that. should be. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, he definitely, definitely has that mindset. I belong. I'm gonna. St- I, I'm, I'm gonna start signing off from this. <laughs> you should. You should. Alex Smolo for a little justice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. But we are back. We're talking about. Uh, we're talking about documentary films, documentary movies. Uh, we're gonna discuss them. So this is gonna be interesting, guys. Because I got to be honest. I don't know. I don't know a lot of documentaries. So I don't, I'm not gonna be able to get these. I don't. I'm worried about that. But. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to guess them. Do you not? Yeah, Nick. Do you do you not watch documentaries? I do watch documentaries, but not enough that like, like if you're not if you're not talking about a documentary that I've seen, will I be able to mm-hmm. estimate it? No. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do. I I watch now. What I do watch is a lot of mockumentaries, <laughs> which are not documentaries at all. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but very different. Very, uh, we will definitely. That do it's another great episode idea, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We will. We will have to. Yeah, you got to come <laughs> back for that. One. We will have to. Well, so doc, I mean, documentaries are tough uh, to to single out because there's so many different types. Yes, like like tr- the true crime documentary. Obviously, Jillian knows this very well. Uh, is its own thing, and I think it's been really uh, enhanced by television yep. in the last few years. Yep. Um, where you know, 
it's interesting. Crime is interesting. People getting murdered, as terrible as it is, is interesting. People oh, doing that. things and getting away with it. People unsolved mysteries. It's it's always been a fascinating thing to people. Uh, so so it's taken its own little niche, yeah. right? Its own little chunk of doc, the documentary world, where you almost have to separate between crime documentaries and other. Yeah. Because um, at the root of a documentary, it's if you're doing it right, the idea is uh, to answer the question of of who are we. Yeah. Right. Who are we actually? Who are we underneath our facade? What are these things going on in our world? What you know? So the, I think I think the best documentaries are the ones that engage with that and answer it. And it could be about crime and still give us that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I think right. you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And and I also I love the I love the kind of the 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 stories that still manage to get told right it's you know it's not just a snapshot it's not just a picture it's also you know learning these lessons from from the past or from i mean it has to be the past because it's documenting something that happened um you know so it really is kind of this this perfect little you know insight to who we are this it's it almost reminds me of the the essay film right uh, adam mckay is kind of at the forefront right now doing uh, films that are also basically essays and you set it up with a thesis and then you go through and show the evidence for that thesis. And I think the best documentaries are just well-written pieces of argument, you know, um, Mm -hmm. well-crafted. So so yeah, guys, I'm, 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 does a, does a good documentary have to have to take a subject and reveal something new about it or is engagement enough? Huh? Huh, Michael? What you think? I think I always learn something new if it's a good documentary. But I always think like, oh, that whenever I learn something new in in a documentary, I watch a lot of historical documentaries, yep. and so I usually feel a sense of shame. Like oh, I probably should have known that. I should have known that by now. So I don't know if if they reveal something new to to everyone, but I think in my experience they do. You know, it's so funny because I've been I've been falling asleep to. I, I take that back because I've been falling asleep to a lot of BBC history documentaries like ancient rome like all that Mm -hmm. stuff and i do think they i think that they do reveal those truths right because because you know michael you say you should you shouldn't know that or you should know that but it's like some of this stuff is so specific right some of this stuff is like is just is just you know yeah you might get the the general sense but a documentary is going to be the thing you know that shows you i remember there's the documentary that Mm -hmm. came out I, i i hope this isn't anyone's choice uh did anyone choose a documentary that was produced by peter jackson no, no. Good. negative. Good. So there's a documentary, uh, documentary that came out. Uh, Peter Jackson produced it uh, about World War One. Um, did you? Uh, they sh- oh they sh- yeah, they shall not grow old. They um, shall not grow old. Ooh, that was that would have been a good choice ooh, actually. It was no, it would have been a great choice. And what I, I mean, Michael, did you ever, did you hear about this one? Yes, just heard yeah. about it though. I didn't see it. So it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I, I went to see it. I forget what city we were in. I think it was. I think it might have been like Portland or Seattle. Um, and it was beautiful because he, you know, the the kind of the, the gimmick of this documentary was that he took World War One footage uh, and colorized it. So you're right. looking at these guys, um, and not just color, not just colorized it, but but uh, changed because cameras back then recorded at a different frame rate, yeah. right? It's why everything looks a little jumpy, moves a little faster than reality. You get that old timey feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he filled in the empty frames. Yeah. In addition to colorizing it, expanding the image, they've literally, I mean, Weta went in and, and completely turned this footage into stuff that it looks now. So what it, what it does is it gives you this sense that 
World War One, which feels like something out of an old textbook, right? Yeah. Some, I mean, it's literally a hundred years like ago. It, it's so distant. Yeah. It makes it feel so relevant. You see how young these kids were. You see how bad it got, oh, how yeah. crazy and brutal and violent and hopeful. And it, it it's, and, and without any real, it just let it speak for itself, yeah. right? That, it used old newsreel, you know. Yeah, you had speeches and stuff. Yeah, you had some. I think you had a lot of actors coming in and reading these texts and these letters from guys, right? Letters and stuff. Yeah, and right. um, but it was yeah, it was just it was just powerful when you saw that was kind of the thing that was revealed, right? Was all of a sudden there was no distance between you and these these men. Uh, you really understood that these were people that. Could, you could have been right next to you, you know, could, you could be, you know, it's, it's, they're just babies. They're little babies out in, in, in fighting this war. And it was really uh, effective. So, you know, I think, I think a documentary can, even if it's a topic that we ostensibly know about, you know, world war one, mm. world war two. Um, I think a document, a good documentary shows you something you didn't know, you know, uh, yeah. in a great way. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do we want to? You know, as always, we save our our guest for for last. You have the seat of honor, um, Alex. Do you want? Do you want me to go or show? Sh- sh- do you want to go? I can go first because mine mine's pretty light fare. Uh, again, I find myself. Uh, we get into these. I find myself choosing when I don't know what to choose. I go with my comfort movies and my, the things that I love. Right? Because at the end of the day, this is about what we think is yeah. is the best. I don't. I don't know that this is to me the the best documentary or the best use of documentary um because favorite. there are like like there's so much that there's so much good stuff that does so much groundbreaking work yeah um this is the only documentary that i've seen more than 3 times love it i've watched this movie 6 7 8 9 i don't even know i just keep coming back to it um it launched the career of its director uh, in a big way, and I don't know. There's just there's just something there's just something about it that really resonates with me on a, on a human level, um, and I just think it's it's a beautiful film. So, yeah, you'll get it immediately and call and call it out because I wasn't actually able to track down a copy. So I'm going from memory here. I love that complete memory. And I watched another documentary in preparation for this and decided to go with this one instead. I love that. Uh, we. Open on a table to a line delivered in Japanese. Roger and me. What? No. Oh, <laughs> man. I thought outsourcing launched his career. Damn. No, no, right, no. Got it. But that's, that'd be a good one, though. Uh, no, the line is, what is the essence of flavor? Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's, what's sushi? Yes. The film is Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you do love this one. Because I just, I mean, you know, back from, from college, whenever it came out, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi is a documentary. Uh, and let me get his full name that I so I can botch it. <laughs> um, it is... Uh, it is a Japanese language American documentary film that follows Jiro Ono. That's what it is. Jiro Ono is a sushi master who owns a small little shop underground in a subway station. Uh, and it's the only sushi restaurant to have been awarded three Michelin stars. He's considered the best sushi chef in the entire world. 
Uh, wow. He's a little old, little old man, super just like adorable little man, old man who, who <laughs> makes sushi, and that's all he does, and that's all he's done for his entire life. Um, and it, it it follows, you know, it, it starts out as sort of a, it's almost like a class. It's almost like like they're asking him. He's he's delivering his, um, his thesis to you, right? He's talking about how he sees the art of making sushi. Uh, over the course of the film, what happens as they sit with him more, as they spend more time with him, as they follow him, um, you know, there, there's there's a tradition in Japan of going to visit your your ancestors' graves, um, following him to his parents' graves and hearing the, the kind of side talk, uh, seeing his relationship with his son, who's coming up underneath him, but he refuses to retire. So the son can never really take over. Mm. Um, you, you realize that, that he's gotten to where he is because of his work ethic, which in the beginning is presented to you um, as something to aspire to. You start to see the ramifications of it, right? His kids grew up without him there because he worked, he was gone before they woke up and he came back after they were asleep. Um, he, you know, he, he's critical to a fault. He, he leaves his employees in tears. He like, he, and it, it, it's just such a, a heartbreaking and, and lovely portrait of a person that, that really, you know, it takes somebody who is the best at something and allows them just, just by talking to them, just by spending time with them and seeing where they are and what they do and how they feel about it. You know, it, it reveals so much about human character and about ambition and about profession and about family. And, um, and it's shot beautifully. It, mm. It's, you know, the, it, I don't know. It's it, so good. G.R. James. Sushi. I remember it having a, <clears throat> an, almost like a meditative quality. It mm. is. Yeah. The, mu- I mean, the music is very, it's almost Philip Glass like, yeah. Um, which the the other film that I picked had a score by Philip Glass. I thought this actually reminds me of of Jiro a lot, um, where be, because the the idea and 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 what this spawned was um, what's the show uh, Chef's Table. Mm-hmm. So the director of this went on to do Chef's Table for Netflix, which is the same thing where you you're taking just like the most beautiful images of food that mm-hmm. you could have, right? It's a great and sushi series. is a very yeah, sushi is a very simple food, right? It's, uh, the, the, the beauty is in the simplicity. Um, it's just a little piece of something on a little black plate. And for somehow they find ways to make every individual shot of this food just like gorgeous. Like you, you just, your mouth waters and you can taste it. And you're listening to people explain what it tastes like, like as you're watching it. Um, and it just, it became this fixation for me when I first saw it. Uh, wanting to go to Japan and like have the sushi, um, and it, yeah, it, I don't know. It's, so so it's yeah. beautiful. It's no, I you know I I think back to um you know when back in the in the early Hamilton days, uh, not early Hamilton days, but the early tour days, I should say. Me and Sarah um, went to Paris, and we we um, we stayed with uh, a family friend. Uh, or stayed in a family friend's apartment in Paris uh, for free. So all of our money for the vacation was spent on food. And Sarah lined up like literally like five star. I mean, it was, I think we went to the, like I think it was like the 24th highest ranked restaurant in the world. Um, and we ate this food. And like when, when food is made at that level where it's just like, I, 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 you know, it's, it's just, it's an art form. Um, 
when you taste it, it is something, it truly is something transcendent. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have brought every ounce of flavor out of this meal. Um, and and that's what I remember about this movie. And it also reminds me of, um, I don't know if any of you watch Documentary Now, but uh, their oh, parody yeah. of it is one of my favorite episodes. Did anybody, did anybody see? Uh, did, did they do one of this? Oh my god! It's called Juan Likes Rice and Chicken, and it's <laughs> it's Fred, it's Fred Armisen as like this like like I think he's like like uh, uh, it has to be like some uh, par- like South American uh like he like his restaurant is on like the top of like a hill like it looks like Machu Picchu (laughs) and like you have to travel for days to get there and they only make one dish and it's just a plate of rice (laughs) and like chicken with like a little dollop of of butter on the top apparently it's like the most incredible thing you've ever had in your life and like his son you know is trying to be uh be you know following his father's footstep but he can't and his father has like all these ridiculous things about how he prepares the chicken and like shoots the chicken out of like a t-shirt cannon and like it, it's all ridiculous like that's so funny. oh my god it's brilliant it's yeah that's yeah, really funny i mean that that's kind of what this is right because like sushi is like i said like, it's a very simple food yeah um and i think it, it plays to the themes of it right is is finding the beauty and simplicity and and always even for something so simple, being able to get up and strive every day to be a little bit better, try a little bit harder, make it a little more perfect. Like it's it's such a good metaphor. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch that. I see that. Um, I'm gonna watch that. You should watch it again. I'm I'm looking at it now. Actually, it is Philip Glass music. <laughs> they did they did use Philip, not made specifically for this film. I think they they used his music from other stuff and put it in, but it's a lot of Philip Glass. There's there's an um, episode of um, I guess it's No Reservations. It was one of the two oh, Anthony Bourdain shows. Yeah, and he he visited someone that was making that makes noodles by hand, and there's only, apparently only a handful of them left. And oh. he was just he was just in total awe, and they they captured it in the show um, mm. at just the exactly like you said, like what it takes to do to do one thing that well, yeah, and to oh. do it by hand and to just devote your time to it. And yeah. I was, I was just like, and, I, I yeah, just, I randomly amazing. think of that. It's like one of those episodes that it just pops into my head sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cause it, cause you think about what, what is that, who is that person who devote, who can devote themselves like that? Like there's so many more questions that when, when you see somebody who has the, the fortitude to do something like that, like who are they? And I think this film does a really good job of, of peeling that away. Cause he, he's not a person who gives it away. It's not like he sits down and is ready to completely open up about who he is and all that. He, he's got his like hardcore principles and I'm sure, you know, the, the speeches he's delivered to his employees over time, I'm sure he's just regurgitating to the camera about how important it is to be focused and, and always try your hardest in your career and always be better, always be better. Um, it's, it's what it goes beyond that. It's when you really get the glimpse at, at the toll that that takes, at the human toll, mm-hmm. uh, that the film kind of elevates. Um, so, I mean, as a documentary, I think the best documentaries can can take reality and and reveal something more about it in one way or another, whether you know directly or indirectly. And, and this film does that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you guys eat sushi? What, what do you put on it? You got to eat. It. Go go go! Oh eat. no! Well, it depends. If you're eating, if you're eating like Bristol Farm sushi. Uh, then you got to get some soy sauce and some ginger and, and do it up. But if you're, if you're going to Jiro's restaurant, you take it how it's served. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have never had, I, I want to have 
sushi that I don't have to put anything on. That's just like you know you know when you get like that that steak that you know is just you don't put any like to put sauce on it would be mm-hmm. an offense. I want to have that sushi. I have not had. That. It's not. It's not as hard to find as you think, and it's not expensive. There's there's a place I love in L.A. Yeah. that does that where where it's good. It's it's good enough. They prepare it well enough uh, individually that you don't. They tell you as they give it to you. Yes, soy sauce. No soy sauce. Like needs it, doesn't need it. Because mm. um, they start to do little things, right? If there's if it needs wasabi, they put the wasabi under under the fish, like between the fish and the rice. If it needs soy sauce, they'll brush it on top. Stuff like that. Um, when somebody really knows what they're doing, they're not going for just quantity. <laughs> they're not sitting back there just churning out factory sushi <sighs> for the masses. It's it's like an art form. Oh yeah, um, no, there's beautiful. I, I do have to. I have no, to I'm find hungry. It. I see. Oh, I'm hungry too. You know what I was thinking about? I was yeah. thinking about at Morimoto Asia in Disney Springs. They got that. <laughs> they got that a grade A wacky beef. Uh, I bet they do. Oh, it's who you don't even know. You don't even know. You don't Ooh. even know. It is. It will <laughs> make you smack your your mom in the face. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> hey, babe, you want sushi tonight? <laughs> you asshole. Yes. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. Zero dreams of sushi. That is Alex Smollo's choice. All right. Watching it tonight. <laughs> みそ汁をつけようがね、それ以外にこう評価しようがないって。あの、後から聞きましたけど、最初の1年の時、次郎さん1回も握ってなかったみたいね。ほとんど吉川さんが握ってて。This documentary is, I don't think it's like, 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 just like you said, Alex, I don't think it's like the perfect documentary. I really don't. But I, when it came out, it came out in 2019. And when I watched it, um, I was just so, I was, I was laughing my ass off. I was also just so upset with the world. It was just one of those things where you're like, this is real. Like, this is a real thing. And like this is the world that we live in, um, but I, I I was also just so entertained. It was just so fascinating on so many levels. So uh, I'll describe the opening, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of paraphrase from memory the the opening lines of this um, because it, it opens very it opens on very simple images. It opens on uh, on first you see a house, and then you see uh, an Instagram post, and then you see people liking the Instagram post, and then you see a party. But this is the, the, the voice that is said over it. You're living, You're living in your in parents', your parents basement. basement. And you pull out your phone, which you look at a hundred times an hour. The actual experience exceeds all expectations. You see a music festival that exceeds all expectations on a deserted island owned by Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> These wonderful, beautiful people in places that you're not doing things you could never do. Guys, and here's the thing. Two documentaries came out about this moment, but there's only one that I think is, I think the, I think the HBO one is bullshit. I'm sorry. I'm going to call them bullshit on that because the, the guys who made Fire Festival <laughs> made the documentary on HBO. Yeah. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's bullshit. Isn't it, then? It's crazy. Or it's like life is art as life. Oh my God. No. The one that I'm talking about is Fire Fraud on Hulu. The Hulu documentary. That's the one. That's, That's the, one, the one. 
there was music, private planes, and beautiful women swimming on an island with drugs, man, that's about as sexy as it gets. We were all packed into a yellow school bus. And people are thinking, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Guys, I watched this shit this morning before my class. And I was laughing my because it's just like you guys are like we have literally built our own graves. Like we're that dumb, guys. We are we are yep. that dumb. And, and this is pre-COVID. This is pre-COVID. This is pre-COVID. When you this man, Billy McFarland, duped all of these like like Instagram celebrities to come out to his island. Like <laughs> so ridiculous so so he like it's like marketing uh just inc- like superpowers he like puts out that like they're gonna have this like exclusive festival and it's gonna be like you can like swim with like island pigs and like caitlin jenner and all this stuff and like, like it's, just, it's just it's just crazy and they like flew out and like ja rule became part of it right because it all started it all started because billy mcfarland figured out like he wanted to do like a new kind of like Soho beach house membership credit card style thing. Right. So he just like, he was like, Oh, well, I'm just going to make like an exclusive credit card for like young people, young millennials. And he literally just ordered a bunch of like black metal and cut it into credit cards. And like the credit card had no actual value, but he was just <laughs> able to drum up enough like exclusivity that people bought into it. And then from that Ja Rule got involved. And then from that, they created the fire festival, which guys, it just is so ridiculous watching this thing count down because he puts out it's like like we have this saying you know and and i i'm sure i'm sure michael you can attest to this like when you're trying to create something there is no better motivator to putting out a poster for the thing you're trying to create for telling terrifying but yes right because because once it's out you have to do it like it's you, you and that's exactly what they did they put out we're gonna throw the biggest most exclusive festival music festival that's ever been festivaled and they put out all this shit about it and they did not have one iota of knowledge of how to structure a music festival so like there's like it's a slightly complicated process it's music they they knew how to take everyone's money though they knew how to take every single person's <laughs> yep. money. Just pay but, in advance. But like, that's exactly right. They they were having them buy into like, yeah, we have these like amazing tent suites with like hammocks and all this shit. And then they're like building these like hazmat huts. <laughs> like, <laughs> like They're like, we have five star food from the finest chefs. And it's like, like you see this picture of this sandwich that's in a styrofoam box. Like, yep. It just is shit. Shit. It was the funniest thing. I was like, you all got fucked. You all it's, literally it, and it's it's such a beautiful portrait oh my God. <laughs> of of American or maybe global stupidity, like the, the stupidity of social media and everyone's <gasps> urge to like fall in. It's like the world's full of people like Billy McFarlane, right? And this guy, I'm I'm sure he doesn't hold any remorse, right? He's he's a hustler. Yeah. He's Donald Trump. He he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care who he hurts. He wakes up and says, how the hell can I get people to give me as much money as possible today? And it doesn't matter how you do it. And it doesn't matter what's happening. And I don't even, he probably doesn't even think it's wrong, right? He's just on this other like weird level. I think it's so fascinating to watch how many people are are so hungry <laughs> to feel like they're doing something cooler than the next guy. That oh, they're, yeah. That they're 
partaking in something exclusive and rich and that because it they've bought into this fantasy and it and it it completely translates to to the Trump presidency and to, to everything, everything. Uh, in that sense because it's like oh no there's nothing there like the emperor has no clothes on at mm-hmm. all and it's brilliant because it got I just want to point out this 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 young man is 28 years old guys 28 years old so it's not even like so when he was doing this when fire festival happened he was what 26 24 do you mean like like <laughs> it's insane and it's it's literally like a generation of people who watched the social network and were like oh i can do that i'm mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like a crazy i'll i'll write equations on on windows just like andrew garfield i mean like it's like no like you can't. i remember going to see the social network walking out of the theater being like fuck i'm going to do it i'm going to go start a company by the time i got back to my apartment I had forgotten all about it, and I played video games. Exactly like right. just, some people don't turn that off ever. Yeah, you just gotta. And if you do, if you do want to do that, and you got to put in the work to learn how to do that, this man did not do that at all. And jo- <laughs> yeah, right. There's, you do have to actually do the work. Let me tell you. Let me tell you who doesn't give you credibility to your goddamn music yeah. festival is Ja Rule. Don't <laughs> just, don't just grab Ja Rule. Like he is like the the the, the scion of of music industry. <laughs> He's been arrested so many times. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. It's so fun. I mean, it's fucked up because it's like it's us and it's why we are where we are right now. But it's just like, oh my god, guys, we are dumb as a box of rocks. And Billy McFarland is at the head of that. He's now six years, uh, serving six years imprisonment. Uh, and he owes twenty six million dollars in restitution. <laughs> yeah, they'll get that. <laughs> they'll, they'll get that money. Oh, and they will get that money because they're not going to not they get will. that money. Well, something like Fire Two is going to happen or something. Oh my God, I'm sure it is. I'm positive yeah. it is. It's just. It's- I do like this documentary too, as as sort of like like some documentaries exist just to tell you what happened. Yep. Right. It's completely historic, and that's the whole point. And it's this. It, it happened and it, it's so absurd what happened that literally just telling it and it was recent enough that they could have everybody involved talking about it and all that is, is it's enough to make a super entertaining movie. Like there's, there's no extra stuff. It's just like, Hey, you're not going to believe this shit. That's literally know, what it for, is for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. It's so funny. So yeah. Fire fraud guys do not watch the HBO one by fuck Jerry. Cause fuck Jerry was all about that fire festival. Watch hulu fire fraud it is so good nightmare in paradise there was no music they were put into disaster relief tents slice of cheese on bread for 48 hours it was the number one trending story on the news the media loves to write about millennials that are really rich really white spoiled so when you have all of them stuck on an island having a shit fit people were gleeful other events that kendall jenner has been promoting the mount etna active volcano (laughs) rave You know, this like tsunami of schadenfreude. Um, that is my documentary, guys. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. And here we are now. At the ultimate. At the most important time of the episode. Come on. Give it to us. Okay. Bring it on. Well, my documentary was on Hulu also. Uh-oh. And it opens with on-screen text. And I will read it to you <laughs> right now. It. I'm very excited. In 1996... Some of the greatest comedy talents of all time came together to create a new sketch comedy show. What resulted was arguably one of the most spectacular failures in television history. Now, more than two decades later, they've reunited to tell the story of how it all came together and how it all went to shit. 
and then it fades, it fades out as the primary subject of the doc is making sort of wind noises, setting up a scene of an old man telling a fable of some kind. But he was really just sort of amusing himself by going, oh, one day, one couple of weeks ago, there was a sketch comedy show. And uh, is this? No, this is not what I think it is. What is it? Alex? Holding for Alex? uh, (laughs) There's like a couple ideas I have in my head, but I can't think of of the names or what? No, you're going to... Go for it. You got us. Okay. It is called Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show. Wow. And it is spectacular. I've also, much much like you, Alex, I've watched this at least six or seven times, or at least had it on. We had a month ago, we were airing on ABC. We weren't going to be on live, so we could record some sketches before the premiere. And we didn't really have our own studios. We, We were just in a studio on the weekends. We just frantically started writing, taping, just trying to pull the show together. Just, I guess we're going to do this, you know, because at some point you got to shoot something. What? I worked on this movie. What? Yeah, I worked on this movie. Um, not anything exciting. I, I, what did I do for it? I helped. I was an assistant editor. I'm, I don't know if I'm in the credits or not. I might be, but I remember watching, uh, going through and, and having to log archival footage of all these Dana Carvey show episodes and all these different things. Holy wow. shit. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, so I, 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 I've completely forgotten about it. It was one of those things, you know, as like it, it was like a kind of a weird freelance gig. It lasted two, three weeks of, you know, oh, a cool movie about Dana Carvey. I love Dana Carvey, mm-hmm. uh, but I think I've I've seen most of it just through watching it, uh, working on it. That's funny. Wow. So it was directed by Josh Greenbaum, yeah. who also directed Becoming Bond and uh, yep. a lot of episodes of New Girl, and uh, it's about basically this. What we can now look back on as this like super group, this this super cast that at the time were was Dana Carvey and a bunch of unknowns that were plucked out of obscurity by Robert Smigel. Mm-hmm. And if you put these people together on a show today, you'd never be able to afford it. Oh yeah, no, this is it is it is just ridiculous how much talent was on this show. And now, waiters who are nauseated by food. Good evening. My name is Roger. This is my back waiter, Stuart, and we'll be serving you this evening. I had a bit that I would do little. I was a waiter for many years, and I literally would do this bit for the other waiters. Our soup today is a creamy fish chowder with chunks of potatoes, corn, and scallops. And so that was my bit. Waiters were nauseated food. That's not complicated. Carell had a thing that he did, totally independent. It was a podiatrist who was nauseated by feet. And there's so many factors that went into why it didn't even last eight episodes. <laughs> now, yeah, talk mm-hmm. to talk to us about this because because what? Why didn't it? Like, what what happened? So, okay, so here's what happened. Dana Carvey was on SNL for eight years, and just you know dominated SNL. He was like the primary player on SNL from '86 to '92. And then he gets out, he does some stand-up, he does, you know, little guest guest spots. But as soon as he announced he was leaving SNL, I think it was 86 to 92, but this this uh, Dana Carvey show came out in 96, so my years might be slightly off. But mm-hmm. everyone wanted to know what he was going to do. He had offers coming from everywhere, and what he chose to do was attempt to do sketch comedy in prime time with Robert Smigel, who is, he considers him the greatest sketch comedy writer he's ever worked with. Um, some people know him for Triumph, uh, the insult comic dog. Um, and he 
has since gone back to SNL and he's just a just a great writer and he's got one of those voices he does he does characters on Bob's Burgers you might know him if you heard him um, mm-hmm. but that's Robert Smigel anyway um, gets him involved and it's 96 95 at the time maybe so they didn't have they didn't have like the the cable options and certainly no streaming options that you have now um, they they turned down HBO because they wanted a bigger audience because it's you know Dana Carvey was such a big star Comedy Central was just getting started so they weren't really in the running and the number one network at the time was ABC. And wow. so they went with ABC. And ABC uh, ABC promised them a home improvement lead-in. Home improvement was the biggest show in, in the country at the time. And Robert Smigel didn't know anything about home improvement. They just they just saw it as like, okay, great. We're going to be on this, this huge network. That's terrific. I had never watched home improvement when I heard about the time slot. I thought, oh, well, maybe it'll be compatible because Tim Allen's kind of a man's man kind of guy and uh, seemed like maybe he's a hip comedian. He'd been busted for cocaine or something. <laughs> I don't know. Is Home Improvement a little racy maybe, right? And then while they're in production, Disney buys ABC. Oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> and, they're put- <laughs> and they're putting together this, this cast. All right, here's who's in the cast. First of all, Louis C.K. was their head writer. Yeah. They also, and at 29 years old, they also had Charlie Kaufman as Come on, on the writing staff. <laughs> they also had as their showrunner, uh, Robert Carlock, who has since, since won a ton of awards. Yep. And then they get Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, and then some other great comedy actors, Bill Chop, Bob Heather o- Morgan. Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Was he involved in the writing staff? He was, he was on the writing staff, dude. I'm looking at it right now. They didn't even talk to him. Wow. Dude, that's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like this who's who of of talent that nobody had heard of yet. Oh my god! And the eight episodes that they created were incredible. But they but Dana Carvey was just more interested in trying new things instead of just doing like the church lady. Mm-hmm. So ABC promoted them as this like, hey, this is family friendly stuff. This is you know Dana Carvey, and they just didn't consider that. You know, just because a home improvement is high rated doesn't always mean it's the right lead in for you. Yeah. <laughs> so the home improvement family audience was just not prepared for like edgy experimental <laughs> sketch comedy. Damn. And the first sketch, which uh, Louis C.K. was not involved either for obvious reasons. This only came out a few years ago. In fact, anytime anybody mentioned him, they usually like took a took a breath. Like, and then, uh, Oof. and Louis was there. Uh, <laughs> Damn, damn. (laughs) I'll just leave that as that. But he referred to their very first cold open sketch, episode one, as like a line in the sand sketch. It was Dana Carvey playing Bill Clinton, which probably could have been enough to to please the masses. But they had Bill Clinton breastfeeding animals. Oh, my God. (laughs) With with a duck ass. (laughs) And the whole country was furious about it. That's they got brilliant. letters. The ratings plummeted right away. And over the course of the weeks, the more notes they got from the network, the more the writing staff dug in. And they started mocking the network. And even, <laughs> in some cases, <laughs> mocking the sponsors. Holy shit. So they created a character of like this network executive that like mispronounces everyone's names and mispronounces Dana Carvey's name and stuff like that. And then they created a sketch uh, within that sketch called the TV Watchers, where a family is watching TV and then they just push past them 
and then it's like an episode of Seinfeld or like an episode of a popular show on another network. <laughs> so you're like, you can watch all the popular shows, including the Super Bowl, right here on ABC. <laughs> Oh my god! But it was really just like a fuck you to, to these network executives that were like, "Can you tone it down because we're we're really like not getting this." Um, so they had this very adversarial relationship with the people who controlled their fate, kind of from the get go. And then the first reviews were horrible, but they got this cult following. And then some of the reviews went back and changed their minds, but it was just too late. They got canceled after seven episodes. Their eighth episode god, never god. even aired. And the eighth episode included what Robert Smigel refers to as the funniest sketch he's ever written. And it later aired when Dana Carvey is that the Gerald hosted Ford? SNL. The, yeah, yes. It's so, Tom Brokaw announcing. It, yeah, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. No, no. It is little I mean, you please please tell, but it's one of my favorite <laughs> sketches that I've ever seen in my life. Please totally. say totally. Well, it's Tom Brokaw announcing that uh, a pres that Gerald Ford was dead. And Gerald Ford at the time was not dead. Tragedy today is former president Gerald Ford was eaten by wolves. <laughs> He was delicious. <laughs> now, now that's just superfluous. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's a former president, Tom. What are you saying? He's, he's not delicious. All right, all right. All it's right, just fine. so good. I, the other thing I'm seeing here is the ambiguously gay duo started on this show. Started with the Dana Carvey Jeez. show, and after it was canceled, it was kind of the only work that was there for Colbert and Carell because those were the two. They were Ace and Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Were they? Yeah. I never realized. So they got to at least get a little bit of work in when Robert Smigel went back to SNL. He was like, I'm, it was kind of a lifeline to them after the show was canceled and before they got picked up by The Daily Show. Oh, I love it. I love so it. So it's just it's just so funny listening to them reminisce about it. They there's my favorite moment in the whole doc is <laughs> they make they make uh each person separately they're all interviewed separately and they make them watch this promo and first of all it wasn't the the dana carvey show dana carvey in a throwback to the very very early television they had the the sponsor pay extra to be part of the name of the show so one week it was the mountain dew dana carvey show <laughs> and one week it was the diet mug root beer dana carvey show <laughs> kind of like college bowl games do now but at the time you know back in the day it was like you know flip wilson and abbott and costello would be like the chesterfield cigarettes presents abbott so you know whatever so they had each one of them separately watch this promo for the show and it started with a promo for this special episode of home improvement abc tuesday a parent's worst fear losing a child i don't want to die <laughs> you never know whose family it will happen to an episode so powerful it hits home we beat this thing, no matter what it is, you know. I'm not an <laughs> Indian. And the voiceover guy's like, a special home improvement followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see everyone hit, just burst into these gales of laughter. Oh and Dana Carvey's God. like, that pretty much sums it up. What were we doing? What were we doing? <laughs> but to me, it's so inspiring because it's like, it shows you that that art and life are not meritocracies and and that has to be okay because you have to be able to risk failure you have to be able to try things yeah and 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 now you can look back on it and be like they they did some great work well and you and especially because you look at you know there's the whole thing with Dana Carvey uh uh you know and and Mike Myers and Mike Myers you know blowing up with Austin Powers off of something that ostensibly was Dana Carvey's not not the whole thing but certainly the you know doctor a lot of the doctor evil mannerisms you know, being based off of Lorne. Um, 
and that was very much that was very much Dana Car- apparently it was Dana Carvey's idea right mm. and and so you look at this whole idea of you know of you know this kind of very popular duo one of whom just just skyrocketed and the other of whom left SNL and and never quite in, at least in terms of our you know our capitalist mainstream idea of success never quite found his footing afterwards even though he did right he was you know he was doing stand up he was doing his thing you know he he did, he had this show i mean like so it's not like he didn't he didn't have an amazing and continued to have an amazing career but we it's it's just one of those things where you 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 look at how how many factors have to come into play in order for someone to be a quote unquote success and mm-hmm. and and like you said, this writing team and Dana Carvey. I mean, this is genius. These are literal geniuses. Um, so for this not to work it just gives you hope. Like, yeah, it's not about that. It's it really is about the endurance and about you just have to go for it. You have to go for it no matter mm-hmm. what. Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing the industry, like how how risk averse it is. It's yeah. like it's like okay, this didn't work, and then like you're right. Like he, Dana Carvey went back to stand up mostly. Instead of somebody being like, "Well, let's let's snap him up and give him another show," like what what are we it's what are we sorry. doing? I mean, really, in every fat, I mean, in movies and TV and and everything, there's for for every great thing, it's usually there's usually a story about how it almost didn't happen, how it could have been so different. Uh, the Galaxy Quest documentary that I edited it was all about that, about how it almost never happened because you know the studio intervenes and something happens an actor drops out and something happens and some executive who's looking at it from a money perspective says well this is eh, this isn't right let's do it differently and the creators push back and and the end result ends up being the product of a lot of collaboration with people who maybe shouldn't even be <laughs> collaborating making decisions they shouldn't make but that's yeah. and that's it's but this and this is this speaks to why we need good people on both sides of the camera and on both sides of the stage, because you have to be that person who gives this, you know, gives the shot. You know what I mean? Like it, it really, w- what we need are the people who recognize the art and who, who say, yeah, I'm gonna throw my money behind this. I, I, you know, not to, not to personalize this, but I had, um, you know, I, 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 I met with, a with an agent once who was talking about, um, you know, you know, talk, they they were trying to get me to sign with their agency and, uh, they were talking about how, uh, you know, cause I asked them like, yeah, what are you, what are you doing for, you know, inclusion and diversity right now? And, and, you know, helping to kind of, you know, further, further, you know, the, the cause for, for those of us in the minority. And this, this agent's response to me was, well, you know, if, look, you know, black men are trending right now. We're following the trends, you know? And I literally was like, not good. Talk about the not wrong answer to that wrong question. Wrong fucking answer. Like, do you mean, and, and I say that it's not even, you know, besides just the, the pure racism of that answer, it's just like, that's, that's what we don't need. What we don't need is you following the trends. What we do need is you having an eye on the trends, but also knowing when somebody like Dana Carvey comes along, you don't just cancel Dana Carvey after one show you look at it and you go cool what did we do wrong maybe leading in from home improvement not the best idea where can we put him because he's dana fucking Carvey. do you know what i mean exactly like, yeah yeah insane yeah. people insane. i'm glad you brought up uh i'm glad you I'm glad you brought up diversity because there that is one thing that this yep. this show in my mind would lose points for they there's no acknowledgement whatsoever in the doc by the way of the total, and I mean complete, lack of diversity on the staff and the cast of the Dana Carvey show. Yep. I know it was 96, but like 
no excuse. And if they had anyone on the talk about that, like that's like 50 years ago is like, yeah, 96, 15 years ago, there was no diversity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like it's, yeah, like it's, you know, Dick Van Dyke or something. (laughs) But um, if there was a person of any, any color (laughs) on the staff, they might've prevented them from making a sketch, which Stephen Colbert refers to as the most racist sketch ever committed to tape. Oh my Which, god! Yeah, and it, it is real bad. It's real bad. Stephen Colbert says it. He says it with a smile, but he's like, "I play Gregory Peck. I just want to be clear. I just want to oh, get Jesus. that on record." <laughs> um, but it's all about I, an awards show. Maybe it's the Oscars, but it's they're announcing best foreign film, and every filmmaker jumps out of their seat as though they won, but they're really just listing the nominees. But every one of these filmmakers is played by one of the white cast members, and every character that they're playing is a total stereotype. Oh, so it God. would have it would have been career endingly bad in a, anything close to to I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that me and Alex have something like that in the vaults. Oh, we've got a couple. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure we got we got one of those that if it ever found a <laughs> I think a good a good cop movie. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> There's a certain, a certain movie that uh should never get out. Oh man, I'm so glad that inside joke is going to stay inside. It's going to stay inside. We're going to tell it to you, Michael, after we get off the air. But I, I would love you to send it to me. I mean, yeah. come on. Oh my god, does it does it exist somewhere? It, I think it this does. I, somebody must. Somebody have has it, it. <laughs> and they and they should never share it ever. It was 1996. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> My my first improv group that I ever worked with, we started doing sketches and we we recorded a sketch. This this probably won't make it in either, Alex. But uh, it it was it was meant to be a cold open for when we uh, we did a show at Gotham Comedy Club and we were gonna like go back and forth from taped sketches to live stuff. And it was just us in a car pretending to be drinking and and then it got more and more ridiculous. Like we're playing drinking games, we're hanging a dartboard from the from the rearview mirror, <laughs> and then it ends with on screen text that says, "Don't drink and drive. You just might have the time of your life." Oh my god! Yeah. So not a great message. Not, not a good message. A great message. Even if it's tongue in cheek, you know, you just pretty funny. Just though. don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some <laughs> stuff that just, you know, you just look back and you say, "Ooh, that didn't age well. Didn't age well. Didn't age well." You know, and that's no. that's how we handle it. That's how we handle capriciousness. It. But, too funny to fail. All right, I got to check that out. I'm gonna watch. I'm it. gonna watch it. I, I remember it just literally because I had to scrub through it and marking time codes and finding stuff. And I remember, I've, I think I've seen it all from that, but I've never just sat down and. And watch it. I'm I can't wait. That. I can't wait Hulu, for you guys you said? to see it. It's on Hulu. It's so fun to just watch, you know, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell reminisce yeah. and talk about these where they came up with these bits, like waiters nauseated Amazing. by food and Germans who say nice <laughs> things. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's yeah. so fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald Ford was mauled senselessly by a circus lion in a convenience store. Good. Yes. Gerald Ford is dead today, and I'm gay. No, no, wait a minute. What? What? That'd be a huge story, Ford dying and you coming out? But I'm not gay. Today you're not gay, you know. Then one day you wake up, you like men, Gerald Ford dies, and we're screwed. I love it. Well, dude, this has been nothing short of a pleasure and a privilege to have you oh, on you the show me, today. Um, you you got it. You got to come back when th- when this episode airs. Pretty sure that your your uh, wonderful uh, radio play will have just dropped. So, why don't you one, one more time? I give cannot them, wait for that. Yeah, give them give them the give them the locales one more time. Just just make I'll sure give them living. all the deets. Uh, yeah. It comes out on December fourteenth. So if this is airs by then, you can just pop right over to twasthenightplay.com or just find it in the Hamilcast feed. But you can. Find me on Twitter and Insta at MP Smith NYC. 
And you can find my sketch comedy podcast, which features Nick Walker, Ted and Michael read sketches into microphones, wherever you get your podcasts on Twitter at Ted and Michael or at Ted and Michael.com. Amazing. Amazing. So there you go. I'm a preparer. I had all that written down. I'm not going to lie. That's what we love. He's prepared. You're ready to go. And that's what we want. That's what we want. You know why? I'm not even going to try to make it sound like it's off the cuff. I'm I'm reading it. It's cool. Read it. (laughs) Read it. It's time. Read it. Um, But Michael, you, you are the best, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Thanks, Alex, I hope that your your COVID fog brain lifts, and uh, yeah, it will lift. It will lift. And for for all the rest of you, uh, for little justice, my name is Alex Smolo, and oh we'll catch you next time. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> little justice, little justice, little justice. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.